What In-N-Out does is they do a burger patty, two two things of cheese, another burger patty, and then another two cheeses on top. So you have like this big mishmash of cheese, which just becomes too calorically dense. Um, you know, it just becomes a, a mess. Right. But if you You're throw ready. another Here patty on top, it gives you enough meat to sort of mix in with all the cheese, and it become it works. Put it that way. You, you see this? Can yeah. you read that? I know that's oh, little... that's what an actual flying Dutchman is. It's like a, yeah. a boat, right? It's named after a boat. <laughs> and the, the owner. Whoops. Whoops. So the owner of the the owner of In and Out used to order used to get flying Dutchman because he would actually say i'm here all the time and i need a snack and the best snack is just taking some patties and smushing some cheese between it and just eating it like that and so he always ate them like that because he wanted to keep his calories down so it became a thing for the owner you know that he liked it like he liked it like that so it's his invention yeah and i don't know who the owner of in and out is but they deserve some credit you know it's it, a good man it's a, you get that sense like this is still like a it's a it's a it's a big business, but it still ran like a small business. Yeah. If, like there's still some sense of it's the cleanest. The people seem alert. They seem a little more together when they're talking to you. Maybe they're staffed appropriately. I, yeah. I don't know. They're, they they really do set a higher bar than every other place. I wanted to say uh, happy holidays to you, buddy. Hey, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And I wanted to ask you. Yes. Have you gone Christmas shopping yet? You get everything? <laughs> well, I We're listen. recording this a couple days before Christmas. We're releasing it on Christmas, so yeah. we can talk about these things with nobody finding out. Uh, you get everything for the kids and all that stuff? Yeah, we really pared back for the kids this year. They We have done the whole, like... Uh, you will own nothing and you will like it. Is that how you told them? <laughs> yes. Klaus Schwab them? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, uh, we've done the whole thing. I've done the whole thing where... In, on the 11th hour. I, Santa Claus at all? No, you're Randy's too old, right? No, you know what? I, I gave Rebecca the look this year, like, hey, do we break it down? And she's like, don't don't ruin it. Not yet. But so, Ryan has to know. Oh, Ryan knows. He knows. He knows. He's 13 or something? He's 13. Yeah, so he knows. And but, arguably, but maybe what, Randy nine? should know. But Randall's nine? He's nine, and he's still- He's kind of an old believer. I, he really is. And that's, and that's on me. That's on me. I will tell you, though- in general how do you feel about santa claus in general like the idea of like lying to your kids or do you feel like it's so uh like it, i don't know because you are lying to your kids but it's fun like santa claus is fun right well we, when the kids we believe in santa we throw back we do know that there was a uh saint nicholas right at some point and santa claus maybe originated actually ironically in, from the dutch yeah Isn't, you know, it wasn't saint the rich the the OG Santa Claus was Dutch, I think. I'm not sure. So, so we're sort of leaning on the. It's not quite as. It's not quite as. Uh, Do you know about Hans Moof? No, but it, I'll tell you about that. It's second. not quite as nefarious as the Tooth Fairy, right? I mean, because we we still practice Tooth Fairy in our home. We really oh, do. Really? We well, we, Tooth Fairy can go on forever until they they have all their teeth in, right? I mean, so like. Like I, they are, but they they have no baby teeth, right? When do you get rid of your baby teeth? I mean, they're. I think Randall has still been losing. How old baby do you lose teeth. all your teeth? I think Randall's right around the age 10? where they all start ten, eleven, where they all finally start popping out. I'm just a believer. They're only young once. They're only innocent and a little naive, and where the world feels like we were talking about last time, magical once. I'm not in any rush to accelerate their 
road to adulthood. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, I, that's, I don't think that, I don't think that, I don't when, think you get better outcomes of children that way. No, I, I've never seen the Santa Claus myth like really hurt anybody, right? Like that's the thing. Does it hurt them? Like, no, it's kind of a fun, a fun little thing. Like I couldn't imagine like, for example, my ex-girlfriend, Lauren, she just had a baby and it's her baby's first Christmas and her baby's so adorable. Her name's Sophia. And I can't imagine like telling little Sophia like right off the bat, like, hey, there's no such thing as a Santa Claus thing. If you hear about it, it's all bullshit. <laughs> you got to let little Sophia believe in it, right? As she's getting older, like it, it gives, it builds the excitement. It's fun. It's the same thing though. My guiding <clears throat> principle for many parenting things is I just try to stay just a quarter step ahead of these other goddamn kids that are out to mess with your kids' serenity. Oh yeah, that's how it usually happens. Yeah, kid. yeah. Let me ask you a question. When I don't know how your Christmases were when you were a kid, um, did you have good Christmases as a kid or was it crappy? No, you know, that's one thing. Grandma and Grandpa, they, they tried they pretty hard. They, they weren't afraid to rack up the credit card bill for a nice, a nice Christmas morning. They yeah, weren't. Yeah. But it wasn't from your dad and your mom. Oh, yeah. And I, mom, mom, mom and dad, mom. they weren't functional adults. They yeah. weren't actually able to raise me. Dad would come in and out every now and then when he was a little bit more, you know. So you missed out, like, although you got good presents from grandma and grandpa, you missed out on the fun of snooping, right? Like, no, I lived with Grandma and Grandpa, so no, oh, well, there was a lot. Oh, so there was Grandma snooping. and Grandpa raised me as parents. Okay, so there was. Did you snoop for the presents? I mean, I remember one time I got my grandpa so pissed off because uh, in 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 the home I was raised in, there was a bathtub in one bathroom and a shower in the other, and I would go use the shower in in the master bedroom, and that's where I would you know shower. And one day I come out of the shower and I just see a bunch of. You know, Christmas gifts just haphazardly hid under their bed. Yeah, and I, I, I just saw him just living my living my best life, just trying to be a clean, clean eleven year old or whatever. And and I, I made the mistake of saying, oh, "Hey, by the way, I saw those gifts. You guys did a really shitty job hiding them. I saw them, and they <laughs> crap went off on me. He, he felt so like he felt he felt violated. He felt violated, like I like I uh, like I was a bank robber and I, I broke into a safe or something like that. It was really it was a really I, odd experience. He was usually pretty level handed. So we had a basement in our house. We we had like a, a garage, you know, and like in these houses, like on the East Coast, uh, usually you'll have like the basement of the house, and that's usually like finished off, like or you know. So we we had a, one side was a garage, and the other side was sort of like a finished off basement part. But when you were down in the basement, there was these like li- you know, like in a cellar, there's like the little windows that y- you can basically just see out, like there, and they usually fold in or out like that. So I peeked through one of those and saw my mom in our finished off basement wrapping all the presents, and I saw what she got for everybody, and I and so I knew, and I had all the secrets, and. Mad Dog and I got into a fight about it because I knew everything that he was getting, and he basically beat me up until I told him what he was uh, what he was getting, and then I and I also lied to him, like I told him he was getting stuff that he didn't get. Oh, how did that work out? Once it not got good. not good, yeah. No, he was mad at me. Yeah, I was a snooper though as a kid. I it, think there are some kids that are snoopers, inherently snoopers, and inherently not. No. I for sure was a snooper. Am a snooper still to this day. Let's Amazingly, be we would get um, so Nintendo was big. Like Nintendo had just come out. I remember getting Nintendo for Christmas. I remember how excited I was. Like the first original Nintendo, the act- the soccer game that they had, you know, for the time was amazing. I don't know why it was so much no, fun. Dude, they all were amazing. It was so simple and basic. And then okay, so we had soccer, and we didn't even like soccer. We had soccer. We had kung fu. 
No, that kung fu was fantastic. Yeah, that was a great game. Just kick the people. <laughs> yeah, you know, kicking them. You could do that like, little like uh, karate kid jump kick thing, and it was fantastic. And there was all these people like running out, and you just got to kick them once, and they and they die basically. And then you get all the way to the end. I still remember our friend Timmy Byer that lived right down the road. I got to the end and I saved the girl, and he actually got excited and he goes, "Hey man, not bad for a video game." And Mark and I are like, you're such a pervert. Like, it's, a, <laughs> it's an eight-pixel, you know, character. And he's like, hey, man, not bad for a video game. <laughs> That's great. No, the Christmas, at, the Christmas at the Buddy household is pretty, pretty mild. I mean, you have to realize that everything in my life is a little upside down yeah. because my wife works graveyard shift. <laughs> she works at a hospital. You're not supposed to call it graveyard. Works third shift. So it, we're always a little upside down in our household, trying to get the so schedule to line up with mom and dad. And, and We everybody. grew up in Poughkeepsie, right? We yeah. were about 45 minutes away from Westchester County where my grandparents lived. Grandma Bell lived right down the road from Grandma Finch. And so Grandma Finch is obviously my mother's mom. They, they grew up, my parents grew up like, they were high school sweethearts. They grew up, you know, living like right together. So we would go down to Grandma Bell's house. And Grandma Bell's house is where all my uncles and aunts live. Like when I go to New Jersey in the summer, that's all my aunts and uncles on the Bell side. And everybody, you could not have a cooler, nicer family. The entire family now, because of Mark and I, everybody works out. Everybody runs, walks, lifts, trains. Our whole family used to be completely obese. Everybody in the family was obese. Everybody. And now they're not. Like, that's badass. That's that's you know, the, really the that's really that, special. That's very special. The impact that Mark and I have had on our cousins and our nephews. Now, there's still people that have weight to lose and whatever, but everybody's fighting the good fight. They're all doing carnivore diets or they're doing keto or they've, they've just figured things out. My Uncle Peter, he walks like uh, six miles every single day and he had a broken back. He had back surgery coming off a broken back and they told him he couldn't really work out and he said how about walking they said yeah you can walk so he walks six miles every day he used to be you know well over 300 pounds he's about six three and he was always well over 300 pounds and now he's like he's actually skinny which is weird because all growing up he was our big fat uncle (laughs) now he's in great shape and um mark says that he had the best quote he came up to mark in new jersey put his hand on his shoulder. He's like, I get it now, Smelly. He's like, uh, well, he didn't call him Smelly. He calls him Mark. He's like, I get it now, Mark. You know, um, being in shape is a full-time job, you know? And he just told Mark that. Mark's like, yeah, yeah I've, known, I've known that forever. Like, it, it really is something that you have to, uh, you have to put in your full effort every day, you know? Yeah, Mark said something to me um, maybe a year ago. He said, no, one, no one's in really great shape by accident. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's outliers, yeah. you know, but his, you know, no one's in really great shape by accident. No one, no one's lean the only people, without working some sort of dietary program. And the only people that are like so-called by accident are maybe people that like, they're very active because of what they do. And they're maybe not realizing that they're working out. You know, like some people have jobs where they're literally doing physical labor all day and they're basically not overweight because they're not hanging out eating. They're, they're physically working. A lot. So those would be the only people that are by accident, you know, but it's not necessarily an accident because they're working all the time. They're doing the work, you know, but yeah, you're pretty much right. Like it is a full, it's a, it's a full time, full time gig, you know, but we used to go to my grandparents on my, um, on both sides, we'd have like the, uh, pick the names. So we didn't, we didn't used to do white elephant, you know, the white elephant where everybody buys a present yeah, and then uh-huh. you pick, like we yeah. do that. So we do that now. I have one 
for 50 bucks at Mark and Andy's house. And then April, Andy's sister, she has one at her house the next day. So one of them's 50 bucks and one of them's 30 bucks. So I got to go out and buy two random presents, probably get in and out gift cards or something, you know. Um, and you got to get something. So here's my advice to anybody that is doing one of these white elephant things ever. You always need to buy something that you want because you can steal things from other people, you know? So when is the, okay, I've only participated in a few white elephants and I've realized like, like every other game, there are some strategies to it. Sounds There's like, real strategy. sounds like the you're first, kind of, yeah, let me know. Strategy number one is to buy something that you want. That way you can never leave the thing like, cause you can always steal back your own gift, right? So like, and you can only steal like up to three times. So that's a strategy too of like, who's going to take what? And then also it's good to have allies. So I used to always like kind of team up with my mom when she was around. I'd be like, Hey mom, like, you know, come on, like I'll hook you up. You hook me up. Like I'd get a, a set of pot holders and my mom really wanted them. So I'd hold on to them for dear life because I knew my mom wanted them. I'd swap with her on whatever she got. So there are some strategies and kind of being cahoots with people beforehand and sort of agree, you know. Now, you said you were going to get a gift for your for your dad. You were talking I need to buy a gift for my dad. I'll tell you what I did for the rest of the family because this is awesome. My I have a 25% off at Lululemon, right? I have a like a, an account there and I have I have a discount. So I went to Lululemon with my dad and we just bought like two things for everybody in the family. You know, like you, like dad bought one, I bought one, you know, like, Hey, let's just buy Mark and Andy, Jake and Quinn. They, you know, you got to buy something that people are going to use. And so I know if I buy you like a Lululemon sweater, that's really nice that you're going to utilize that, you know? Yeah. I'd be so afraid of getting a coffee stain on it or something like that. Well, like, if you think about Mark and I have had Lululemon stuff for going on like 10 years or more. Right. And some of the stuff I still actually have, and it's still in good condition. So although it's very expensive and a lot of people complain, it's really expensive. A lot of the stuff that I've had, I have for a decade, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, if it can last, right. If it amortizes out over, you know, five, 10 years, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great deal. Right? What's that's the best, um, what's the best thing you ever got for Christmas. Okay, best thing I ever got for Christmas. That's uh huh. I mean, I don't know if this is an appropriate place to say this because we're supposed, you know, fitness and so forth, but that first Nintendo NES back in like 1985, right? Yeah. That was one of the best things it's I It's life-changing. I mean, I it's when you're just a normal boring kid and all of a sudden you get to play Super Mario Bros or Excite Bike, you know. So that was awesome. And then I had a Christmas where I had just turned 16. And when I just turned 16, um, my dad had like, he had like made this th like a present and I opened it and it's like a box and it's like, oh, go over here and there's a note in the stock in your stocking. And I go over and check the note in the stocking and it's telling me to go somewhere else and then go somewhere else. And it basically led me down to the garage and in the garage was a 1969 Camaro. It was my first car. Whoa. It was kind of a, you know, it was uh, probably two, three thousand dollar car. No, I it mean, was kind of a beater. Like it, it needed work. But my dad bought it because he knew I wanted to like work on it, you know, like right. kind of fix up my own thing. And so it had some rust on the fenders um, that we fixed up. But other than that, it was pretty cool. And I had it for a couple of years. Um, I had all these dreams of like 
you know, totally restoring it and doing all that. And then I realized like, I don't make enough money working at Champ Sports selling sneakers to support my, uh, my habit of trying to restore a 69 Camaro. Yeah. yeah. So it just didn't work out. Um, but I had that car for a couple of years. It, w- it was awesome. And then um, also, my dad's a gangster. He's done some really cool stuff for us. When I was, um, I made a, a short film called Billy Jones. Dear Dirt Dog Dave, my name is Billy Jones and I'm 12 years old. My colleagues, Jack Pupkin, Jake Cherrywood and I, have been enjoying the smooth, rich, oh, does it do it, satisfying flavor of your cigarettes for quite some time. And Billy Jones is like sort of, I made that right when I graduated from USC. I basically, um, so at USC, you work on somebody else's project when you're like a junior. And then when you're a senior, you make your own project and you get people to come help you on your project. And so basically like when you're a senior, and they, but they only pick four people to make projects a year out of like there's maybe 40 students in the film school altogether which is very little to begin with. And out of that, they're going to pick four people that actually get to make a movie that the, the school funds. So I went and pitched my movie. And usually you have to go into the pitch with two people that are going to help you on your movie, two people that are like the class under you that are going to help you. I went in with eight. I had a stack team. I went in. I told them what I wanted to do. And the teachers just like looked at me and they're like, you're way too ambitious for this film school. <laughs> that's what they told me. And that's at USC? Yeah. And they like, said you're way too ambitious? You're way too ambitious. <laughs> that so, seems a little bit like, that seems. And so I went to, um, so I, I like, I didn't get picked. I remember like the next day the list came out and I went up to the list and I'm looking for my name and I'm like, these people got picked over me? Like people that were even in my classes that I thought didn't have as much talent, you know, or didn't put in, in as much work maybe, or didn't have a good script. You know, so I'm like, I can't believe, like, well, I know that, like, yeah, this kid got picked, and one of my friends, Rick, he deserved to get picked, and he's awesome. He went on to direct three episodes of The Mandalorian. So I was in school with some pretty gangster people, but some of these other people that got picked, you know, weren't at that level. And I remember being, like, sad and dejected, and then the um, the guy that teaches directing at USC uh, stopped me. I was in the elevator with him, and he said, you know your script destroyed everybody's. Like, it was awesome. And I said, really? And he goes, oh, he's like, it's it's different level. I'm like, really? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you should, you should definitely make that. No matter what you do, you should definitely make that short film. And I'm like, hmm. And so just like that, and then he got off the elevator and left and never talked to him again. But I went and made that movie because a teacher told me to. Now, that, that's... That's pretty sick, Chris. That's actually pretty sick. I don't understand why. Well, let me. Was there? Go ahead. The story still runs because my dad's involved in this. So I had to raise money to make this movie. There's no way I'm going to be able to make it for nothing, right? And so I'm raising money for the movie. I'm like, I need ten grand here, ten grand here to do this, and and we actually shot it on 35 millimeter film. So I was trying to raise the money, and my dad said, "Why don't we go to some of these anti-smoking organizations?" Because they have, they have to give money away to... So the movie was basically about a kid who smoked himself to death to win a prize. Like Marlboro Miles and Camel Cash. This was a fictional version of that. Where the kid's trying to like save up enough points in order to like win a prize from his favorite cigarette company, right? And that's the, the gist of the movie. And um, I went to these anti-smoking organizations. I think we raised like forty or $50,000 towards making the movie. 
from anti and my dad helped me do it like he helped me go on the meetings or whatever so i worked on this movie and it had all these special effect shots and all this crazy shit going on in it and i had no idea what i was doing and so i shot it all but i had it all in the can and i had all these green screen shots and i was like wow we'll figure it out later you know to do all that work to like scan and, and do the special effects. I need, I ended up where I needed about 10 grand before I could finish my movie. Now I'd been trying to finish this movie for three years and every single time I would see people at a family function or whatever, I'd be embarrassed because my movie wasn't done. And I was just kind of waiting around to like get some money to be able to make it. So people go, Oh, what's going on with your movie? I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, I'm working on it. So finally, uh, one Christmas when I came home from school, I basically, my dad gave me like um, a, a photo. My parents, my mom and my dad gave me like a photo album. And in the photo album was like all these pictures of me, you know, going through film school and whatever. And at the end of it, there was a check for 10 grand to finish my movie. And my dad said, one day I'm going to die. And, you know, you guys will get an inheritance. Just consider this like a down payment on that, <laughs> you know. And um, he's like, go finish your movie. And I was like speechless. You know, like that's a. Do you so, still have access to this movie? Billy Jones? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can watch Billy Jones online. I believe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's on my YouTube. I think it's actually in my. Um, if you go on my Instagram, I think it's in my uh, the link in my bio. I'm pretty sure. Um, but that was probably the best present I ever got because uh, it was money, and it allowed me to do something that I wanted to do. You know, and I think that's like the the key. Now. All right, as a bachelor with a bachelor who's tight, you know, every, the 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 favorite uncle, the favorite uncle obviously of the family. Do you have any solo Christmas traditions? Do you like do you like watch Die Hard or it's a Christmas story or anything like that every cuz cuz I'll tell you, I I will I I have I every year I I I attempt to watch a Christmas story and I I attempt to watch the original Die Hard. You I just those are kind of like my own personal yeah. Uh, that I'll carry to the grave. I want to watch those movies. Yeah, that- Christmas Story is great. I actually got to work when I'm um, the producer of Prescription Thugs is Ralphie. So, are you kidding me? Yeah, Peter Billingsley. He produced my movie. Uh, you have probably told me that before, so but I got you know hang- me. My memory is just like a couple. I got of to hang with him again, and then they just made a HBO Max just put out like a Christmas Story sequel, like an like another a new one. And I thought I I watched the beginning of it. And I didn't get into it. And I thought it was probably going to be terrible. But my dad actually said it was great. Because my dad loves Peter because I worked with him. You know, it's like my dad met a famous guy and he was like all pumped. And plus, Peter is a staunch Republican. He's like, you know, he works with Glenn Beck. Oh, really? So my dad loved him. And they got along great. So then my dad's like, oh, I watched the new Peter Billingsley movie. It's amazing. He's got an amazing ending. And I'm like, really? I'm like, I thought I... I didn't think it was, I, I just always think when anything's a sequel, especially when it took 20 years to make, I always assume for the worst, but my dad said it was good. And I haven't seen it. I want to see them like, I want to see them bring as much. I want to, I want like what it's called, what Kevin Smith calls it fan service. Yeah. I want to see them bring as many throwbacks to, I don't, uh, I think what, I think that that's what that did. I ha- I just haven't watched it to be honest. I, I, I tried to watch it and then I didn't get into it. Sometimes when I don't get into something in the first 10 minutes, I just shut it off. And then sometimes I'll be able to go back to it. Uh-huh. But things have to grip you, you know? Hey, listen, we'll call this segment. It's If you notice it's a reoccurring theme, it's the segment where Russell Buddy tries to get Chris to go bad on people and in front of the camera. Go bad <laughs> on people. Yeah, you're, So, hey, 
what do you think about? I think I saw some. Uh, you know, speaking of Glenn Beck, some Blaze, right? Oh Dick yeah, yeah. Crowder, Crowder, he left. He left, and he it bailed. sounds like sounds like there was some like he didn't have access to his his uh, email list at the end. Did you catch that part? No. No. Okay. So you remember, I was. I, Those things are tough, right? Because they shut him out from his email list. Is is was the initial like insinuations allegedly from what was sort of being said but not said on some videos. Yeah, about I mean that's the a, subject. It's a big business, right? So like the the louder with Crowder show and the Glenn Beck show and they're they're big entities. So it's hard to um, you know like a lot of good things come to an end. I don't know exactly what happened, but it got to a point where Crowder couldn't take it anymore, and he left. Right. I mean, he probably got bigger than the Blaze. Yeah, maybe. Pers- and that's okay. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's well, that's not a. It's not a dig against the Blaze. I don't, I'm not really familiar with the Blaze's work a lot. I'll but, tell you this: I don't like any, any network or station or anything. I, this is my problem, even with Crowder. I don't like anybody that's that's like cho- like definitely chosen a side. Um, it's hard for me to be down totally with somebody like that. And I don't mind if people like, pick a side, but when you totally choose a side, like Crowder will say, this is a right-wing Republican show. To, I, and I will say this, to probably, respectively, or, or respectfully, to the detriment of your career, you've never just grabbed onto any, like, one side and said, I'm just going to, like, pick up the flagpole of this and, and carry well, this forward. I've, I've also, I've made the mistake of doing things like that. Like, when, I, when you stick your you know your flag in the ground and you say i'm on a carnivore diet right and then you hashtag everything carnivore you get kind of locked into that and when you want to eat a potato you feel like an asshole you know and so i I always just say like um yeah like it's i don't know i always just say don't lean too far either way you know moderation does not get attention does it it just doesn't get attention it's very hard to doesn't get attention and, and most people that's where they fall and then nuance doesn't sell so the fact that nuance doesn't sell, it's really hard to sell people on things that actually work, right? Like I can go on the internet and I can talk about things that actually really work, but there, there's like not some, you know, they, people want to see, take this pill, you know, do this thing and you'll get better. And it's not like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a brave thing to go out on your own, right? That can't be easy to do right once you're in it anyways i i just thought that was a that did not have access to the mug club you know i'm not a member i'm not in any of anyone's email list or anything like that i just thought it was weird like oh wow that's that's business being yeah, it's done business. that's business being done right you know it's yeah it's amazing <laughs> um, it's kind of like uh, conor mcgregor when um when khabib was beating the shit out of him and in the middle of the round and and connor's like it's just business talk now talk well, now and then he said he said to him it's just business yeah because he's like like hey man don't kill me this is just like i was just kidding around <laughs> uh, that's great you know that's... well again this is the, the we're gonna drop this on christmas and then and we're gonna lead in right into jay feldman's podcast right after this he had some really he had a good take on on oh, food nutrition great. and it uh, again kind of a moderate i mean there was definitely Moderate and nuanced. So even though he had some really brilliant, informed insights. So, you know, it's hard for me is listening to people like Jay Feldman be very adamant about certain things. Like you don't need fish oil. You don't need omega-3s. And then actually 
like looking into it and studying things about omega-3s and fatty acids and like their effects on inflammation and all that. And then yesterday I'm on with my doctor and my doctor's like, yeah, we really need to get you taking that fish oil. And I'm like, well, I told you I stopped taking the fish oil because like I was burping it up and blah, blah. He said, yeah, we really need to get you. You should maybe get a liquid one or whatever. And I agree that like on paper that looks good, but I feel like um, I feel like after talking to Jay that it just doesn't work and it's not going to help me. So it's it's hard when you you know I'm I'm always hearing conflicting advice from people. Jay's a smart man, and after you left uh, to go for your walk, I I actually just sort of kept him trapped here in the studio and just. Just, well, that's what I'm saying. The nuance is like, how, who do you who do you listen to? Do you listen to your doctor? Or do you listen to somebody who's like studying, like up to date right now? And it's like that's a tough call because the doctor, the doctor is going to give you his best knowledge. Now, and he and that's the like I say this all the time. The most fasc, fascinating thing about nutrition science and all this time bodybuilding um, science and everything is everybody has the same set of studies. And they inter- like you can interpret a study in a vegan way or a carnivore way. That's how crazy it is. Like where a vegan will read something and have one interpretation of it and a carnivore will read the same study and have a different, you know, a different way of lo- a different perspective on it. Like uh, like too much fat can be hard on the heart. Too much carbs can be hard on your, uh, you know, diabetes or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because there's so many studies that it's hard to, you know, it's like, um, and people leverage them in whatever way looks good for them, you know, and that's, that's always going to happen. Well, dude, it's been basically a year that you've been doing this podcast All right, and it's been a great year. The channel has been pumping out. The Instagram account is, uh, growing and growing and growing and, and it's been fun, man. Well, I, I just want to say it's been great doing this with you and, and uh, Merry Christmas and all that. Yeah, good Merry stuff. Christmas. It's been awesome, man. I've, I love doing this. I mean, obviously, like, um, we just started doing it kind of for fun, kind of just have this, you know, have something to do, mm-hmm. talk a little shit, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, yeah, it's been great. And it's been great to see it grow. And um, hopefully in the, in the new year we can grow it into something big, you know. All right, dude. Well, Let's hey, keep talking. Merry Christmas. Here comes Jay. Merry Christmas. Morning out of Sacramento, California. Woo! What you gonna do? Better. Stronger. Son of a bitch. Faster. Oh, yeah. All right. Today we have a guest. Uh, Jay Feldman is here. And uh, Jay, you do a, have a very interesting way of looking at uh, diet and nutrition. That's different than a lot of people that we hear. Uh, you know, Mark and I have been stuck in this uh, carnivore <clears throat> keto kind of rabbit hole for a long time and, and doing things like uh, meat and fruit. And uh, through Brad Kearns, we came came around to your work. And can you explain uh, exactly like the way that you look at food and and wh- what do you what do you call that? And how do you um, how do you look at food that's sort of different than these other diets do? Yeah, definitely. So. When I'm looking at health, biology, food, nutrition, all of it is through a lens, which is called the bioenergetic view of health. And so what that means is that we're looking at the energy availability in every cell from the mitochondria that are producing that energy, that ATP, and looking at that as the determinant of our health, of our function, how well we can think, how well we're going to digest our food, how well our immune uh, system is functioning. 
and looking at the different things we change in our environment, the food that we take in, the supplements that we take in, how much sleep we get, how much light we get, what types of exercise we do and how much looking at all those things on this bioenergetic level, this level of how it's going to impact our ability to produce energy or how it will impact the amount of energy we produce and that we have. And using that as the determinant or viewing that as the determinant of how it's going to affect our health. And so different foods obviously have different impacts. And it's about, is it about figuring out what's right for the individual or do we all seem to respond to kind of the same things or how does that work out? And how do you figure that out? Yeah, so there are universal principles and this is, it might sound rather, I mean, it's not, this is not normally the way that people talk about health, but this is, it's not so far-fetched. So you'll hear people discuss mitochondrial function or dysfunction quite often. What we're really getting at is how well we're producing energy. That's what our mitochondria do. We look at any disease process, any symptom that we have tends to come back to an inability to produce energy. And so there are going to be certain principles that will be universal to every human and non-human, like every animal, every mammal, even plants that are going to determine how well they produce energy. So you mentioned carnivore, you also mentioned carnivore plus fruit. Part of why I would really lean into carnivore plus fruit as opposed to just carnivore is because of the value of those carbohydrates in energy production where there's going to be a difference in terms of how well we produce energy from carbs and fats how quickly we produce energy and what sorts of adaptations that leads to that will for my view determine what's going to be healthiest and i think that's one of the central reasons why it's actually important to have some amount of carbohydrates in the diet and i think it's why a lot of people who are strict carnivore will tend to bring in some of those carbohydrates sure. over time is because of the the value there in terms of producing energy. Do you think the meat and fruit diet is a good diet or would you go beyond that and add in, you like talking about adding in other things as well? Like do you add in grains? Do you have, you know, how do you feel about stuff like that? So I think if we want to give somebody the simplest place to start, fruit and meat can be that place. It's not exactly the end point I would want, want to get to, but I'm not a big fan of grains I'm not a big fan of of nuts and seeds. And the reason for those things is because of their impacts on our digestive health and the impacts of our gut and digestive health on our ability to produce energy. So one of the, there are a handful of factors, a ton of factors that are going to be the main things that affect our ability to produce energy. One of the main things that inhibits it is the production of certain toxins from bacteria in our intestines. When I say toxins, I'm not talking about some sort of like woo-woo toxin. Like, yeah. you know, when you say that, people like have a reflex. But I'm talking about something that's considered literally a toxin from the medical standpoint. Um, one of the most common that's discussed in, and used in research and looked at as a major driver of death and disease is called endotoxin. The technical name is lipopolysaccharide or LPS. This is something that's produced from certain types of bacteria in our intestines. When we have a really severe infection, when somebody's like severely immunocompromised, those infections will be so bad they'll get endotoxemia, which is, causes sepsis sure. or cause death. But low-grade endotoxemia is found in all sorts of degenerative states, diabetes, obesity, on from there. And it's one of the central things that is going to inhibit our ability to produce energy. That's why endotoxin is so harmful is because it blocks that energy production. So a central a central part of the bioenergetic view is consuming things that are going to minimize any production and exposure to lipopolysaccharide or other gut toxins because that's going to be a major thing that will inhibit our ability to produce energy. And what are the foods, like if we could just make it simple for people because people mm-hmm. listen to this and go, mitochondria, I don't know what the guy's talking about. Like, can you um, distill that down to like, I don't know, maybe like 
10 foods that would fall into these categories that would help us produce energy? So on the digestive standpoint, I would say the things we'd want to avoid would be the whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, and raw vegetables. Okay. These are the things that Stuff are- Stuff I don't like anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I like nuts, but I don't need them. Yeah, I can, I can do without. Yeah. And those are the things that are most offensive, most uh, difficult to digest. They have a lot of anti-nutrients, which are plant defensive compounds because the plants don't want these parts of them to be eaten. And so those are going to cause a lot of issues gut-wise. And legumes are things like beans, even peanuts are legumes considered, yep. right? So um, beans would be a no-go also. Mm -hmm. And those are all the seeds of the plant, the nuts, the seeds, the legumes, the grains. They're all the seed of the plant. The plant doesn't want us to consume them. They need those to reproduce. Yeah. And so, so a little bit of truth to um, Paul Saladino's work with the yeah. plant toxins and they don't uh -huh. want to be eaten and all that stuff kind of makes, makes some sense as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else would you avoid? So another central one would be certain types of fats. So the polyunsaturated fats, the omega-6s, the seed oils. Oh, we talked about seed oils yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Um, I said there's a lot of seed oil apologists on uh, the internet. I don't know if that's what you call it, but like sympathizers? What do you, <laughs> you call it? Like when, uh, there's people that will say, yeah. like, drink as much seed oil as you can. And I'm like, I'm running away from those people. Um, I don't consume them, but you said that you don't, you don't think they're any good either, right? Yeah. And I would say they're even a problem in nuts and seeds, which are really high in the same types of fats that are in the seed oil. So it's the actual fat. Yeah. It's not even the fact that it's a, uh, toxic seed oil. Like that stuff. We just, we don't need that kind of fat. Yeah. And that's the most common place people are getting it. It's in all of our food, anything that's fried, all the processed foods that use those oils. But I would say the nuts and seeds, even salmon, which is really high in omega threes are all gonna, They're all super high in these unsaturated fats. And yes, the sympathizers will say there's no randomized controlled study where they had one person eating uh, or one group eating yeah. a ton and another group not eating very much. And they saw a negative health outcome in the ones who were eating more. There's a lot of issues with study design. There's a lot of reasons why those sorts of studies aren't done. Also, but. this is like this is like this sludge that we put in our body and we don't really know what happens to it because it's only 60, 70 years old. You know, it hasn't been around for uh, a long time for us to really know what it does to the body. And I think that's important when we're looking into this stuff as well is like um, looking into these foods and these newer foods and are they going to have consequences? It's like, well, when was it invented? You know, when was meat invented? A million years ago, a couple million years ago, you know? So it's like, I think there's differences there as well that we need to definitely be looking out for. Definitely. And we can, even if there's not the randomized controlled styles, uh, studies, we can look at the mechanisms for those things. And I think it does become pretty clear that for one, these types of fats are hibernation fats in nature. So the only reason why these fats are in the nuts and seeds is because at very low temperatures, we need those sorts of fats in order to function, in order not to die when you have a, like a more saturated fat that'll be found at more, in more tropical regions. So like cocoa, coconuts, yeah. those are higher in saturated fats. They're in more like warm regions. In the colder regions, you have much higher polyunsaturated fats. And you can take the same soybeans and grow them in warmer regions and they'll have less of the unsaturated fats. Anything else we should be avoiding? Yeah. <laughs> well, and so just to, just to, to, to bow tie that real quick, there's a reason why I was getting okay. to that is, is that in the same way that these are low temperature hibernation fats in nature, they do the same things for us. So bears need, any animal that hibernates needs these fats to hibernate because that, these are essential for slowing our metabolism down. They do the same thing in us. I would say that's something we really want to avoid. It's actually one of the main ways to slow down our ability to produce energy is these types of fats. Basically, yeah. they're, that's they're interesting. You know, I, um, the squirrel, squirrels, they like the uh, acorns. Exactly. And I think um, acorns are the only food, one of the only foods, 
besides maybe breast milk that have carbs and fat in them. Mm. They're almost like a donut, I guess. I've never had an acorn. I don't even know if they're, I don't know if they're, they obviously must not be good or must be bitter or something because we don't eat them. Yeah, it's not, it's not like a hazelnut. No, but it has fat and carbs in it, which I thought was interesting. And I say that's why they, um, they store them up. They're very energy dense. See, I would say it's the unsaturated fats in there. Is that have yeah, anything maybe, to yeah. do with like the whole visceral fat or anything like that? Is that in the same discussion or something different? It's a little separate. It's a little separate. Um, but it's a great example. The squirrels or bears, it, yeah. they use these unsaturated fats from nuts and seeds to, to put hibernate. on body fat and to hibernate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we want to avoid that. Jeff. Unless you yeah. want to put on fat and hibernate. <laughs> <laughs> and then what else should we be um, staying away from? So the unsaturated fats, the hard-to-digest foods are the main things I would stay away from. And then I would say on the other side, there's a lot of things we'd want to include um, that are going to provide the nutrition for energy production. Sure. The carbs, I would say, is a big part of that. So, But I would be leaning toward the easily digestible ones, so leaning toward really ripe fruit, uh, some cooked roots and tubers, squashes, things like that, as opposed to the grain-based carbohydrates. Uh, and we can- So potatoes instead of rice? Yeah, white rice is a bit of an exception when it comes to grains because it's kind of okay. we've stripped away all of the anti-nutrient and Everybody components. loves you right now. So <laughs> if you're, everybody watching this, yeah, white rice, like, right? I, I think white rice is delicious and it doesn't have much in it either, right? So it's like, there's not much either way. Like that's, there's not much that can be bad from it, right? So it also seems like you just green-lighted spaghetti squash. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, spaghetti squash is good. And I would say better not, than the alternative. Not spaghettios, spaghetti squash. <laughs> oh, never mind. Never mind. My bad. Spaghettios. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope no one's avoiding the spaghetti squash. But yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, where were we prior to this? So that's good for you, though, spaghetti squash. Foods I like to that. include. I'm gonna smash Foods that. to include. Yeah. Well, and and so those sorts of carbohydrates, I would say, are ideal with the rice. What I was, that's why I wanted to mention was that all of the harmful components are stripped away. So we've taken the brown rice, which is the whole piece, taken away the outer protective parts that have the anti-nutrient defenses yeah. and stripped those which off. Which is we just so have crazy because when you're a kid, you hear like, you got to eat the brown rice because it's good for you. And it's like, oh, it just tastes horrible. Yeah, well, no <laughs> traditional cultures eat brown rice or yeah. eat whole grains. If they're going to eat some sort of whole grain, they would sprout it. They would soak and sprout it. They would ferment it. All these things to get rid of the anti-nutrients, they would spend so much time processing yeah. them. I see, I live in... In Latin America, I'm traveling and, you know, in Ecuador, Mexico, and they don't just eat plain corn. They nixtamalize it, which takes 24 plus hours where they soak it and they use uh, what's called lime. It's calcium hydroxide to break down the defensive compounds. And we've decided that we know better. You don't need to waste all your time doing that. We'll just take the whole brown rice instead of yeah. the white rice. Well, that's amazing because, uh, yeah, all these cultures, they've always had, uh, if you look at any of these cultures, they've always had ways of like soaking and sprouting and doing all these things to these plants. Like they know like that they have these toxins in them. They know that they have to get these toxins out of them. Otherwise, you know, um, in some countries they use cassava a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think cassava is just poisonous if you just eat it. Right. Yeah. So it's like they figured out how to make, make it not poisonous. I think even raw cashews are poison Mm. if you just eat them. Like if you just eat them off the tree or something. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't know like, that about yeah. the cashews, but yeah, definitely with cassava, it has yeah. to be well Dr. processed. Dr. Baker said that. I think he said if you ate a handful of raw cashews, like you'd be pretty sick. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's interesting as well. Then what else do we want to be um, including? How, where, where, where do we find our good old uh, steak, you know, our, our beef? Yeah. So that's the piece I was going to get to next. We have the easily digested, relatively nutrient dense carbohydrates. And then I would be adding in uh, fat and protein, protein from 
animal-based sources largely. So we're talking dairy, eggs, meat, organ meats, seafood. But the asterisk with the seafood is low PUFA, so not really the salmon so much. But there's a lot of low-fat fish. Wow, so salmon's not that great for you. I mean, we've been told that salmon's the bomb. Like, that's the ultimate pinnacle of health food, right? Yeah, so there's this huge uprising against the omega-6s, against the seed oils. If we're going to say those are unstable, susceptible to peroxidation, they rot in your body, and again, there's deeper mechanisms there, but let's kind of keep it simple. Omega-3s are worse. They're more unstable. Most uh, fish oils you're going to grab off the shelf are already damaged and oxidized. By the time it gets through your digestive tract, it's even worse. By the time it's then being used in your body, it's even worse. And there's some actual good evidence that the more polyunsaturated fats, including the omega-3s that you have in your cells, the faster you age and the shorter your lifespan is. This is across all species, wow. not only just so humans. So my but. doctor prescribed me um, fish oil, and they want me to take like four grams of fish oil a day. Um, and I discontinued it because I kept burping it up, and it was disgusting. And then I would try to take it at night, and then I would burp it up when I was sleeping, and it, it was just gross. Yeah. Um, and it was a high-quality fish oil from a good, you know, it's from a, a pharmaceutical, like, you know, grade place. And um, so the... the I discontinued it. Is that probably a smart idea? I would say so. It does have anti-inflammatory effects, but those are, a lot of things have anti-inflammatory effects. One of the main ones that is used medically is steroids, right? Corticosteroids. Yeah. They have a short-term anti-inflammatory effect, but A, it doesn't work long-term. It has less and less of an effect. You have to use more and more. And B, it comes at a major cost. The stress hormone, it leads to the degradation of our our bones, sure, our joints, yeah. our muscles. Breaks you down. Yeah, and the omega-3s are really pretty parallel there. Where they have anti-inflammatory effects, especially short-term, but long-term it comes at a cost. Really? So omega-3s in general, we don't, we don't need them? Or we need li very little? The amount, if you I mean, wanna... this is like pretty controversial, isn't it? With the omega-3s, it's more controversial now, but maybe it's just a matter of time. I've always heard, I mean, this is the very first time I'm ever hearing in my entire life that omega-3s might be bad, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I have not heard this yet. Yeah, so if there are, you mentioned are they essential, the only essential fats that are widely considered to be essential are omega-6s and omega-3s. I think it's arguable as to whether or not they're actually essential. The initial research on them is, is very old from the 30s, and it's poor. They didn't know about certain nutrients. There's these confounding variables. But even if you want to say they're essential, the amount that's essential is like 0.1% of your diet, and you're going to get that if you're eating any fat. If you're eating eggs, if you're eating meat, relatively low PUFA things, low omega-6s, low omega-3s, you'll still be getting way more than is essential anyway. Wow. So, yeah, that's great. I can mix the, uh, I can keep the fish oil out. PUFA? What is, what is PUFA? Yeah, so PUFA is polyunsaturated fats, and that's the omega-6s and omega-3s. And, yeah, PUFA is just an easy way to say it. Sort of like a FUPA, but different. <laughs> it gives you a FUPA. The PUFA gives you the, gives you the FUPA. Right? Something like that. Um, what, okay. So, um, so for protein, um, beef is good. We're good with beef. We're good with beef fat. We're good with that. Um, what about other, any other fat sources or any, like is butter good? So with the fats, we want to, my main thing would be avoiding the PUFA and the FUPA. Yeah. <laughs> so the FUPA. avoiding the omega sixes and threes. And so ruminant animals, that's going to be beef, bison, goat, lamb are very, very low in PUFA. So is their fat. So even if you're getting the fattiest beef really not an issue there and uh you can get beef tallow or use those yeah. fat sources the same is true for dairy so dairy is going to be mostly saturated and monounsaturated very little polyunsaturated very low on the omega-3s and 6s 
And so that's another great source, butter, ghee, or, or anything else dairy-wise. Yeah, what about other dairy? Like, um, is it okay to have, um, you know, Greek yogurt? Is it okay to have cottage cheese, things like that, that can add, you know, protein, but they also have fat in them? Is that, those fats are fine? The fats are fine. Are there other potential issues there with lactose tolerance and reactivity to the proteins, potentially? But yeah. for someone who's not having those issues? So some, some people... Dairy affects them, and if you sort of know it affects your hair and your skin and whatever, you know, people have all sorts of issues with dairy, it seems like. Yeah. Um, then you stay away from it. But if you're not having those problems, then it's fine. And normally those problems are reversible, but during the time when you're dealing with the issue, I would say, yeah, don't continue to have it. Yeah, and then what else are we adding in there? Anything else? Yeah, so from the fat side, what I was going to uh, kind of stipulate with the protein too, so like chicken, turkey, uh, any non-ruminant animal, it can have more uh, pigs. Pork is a big one. Yeah. The more PUFA they eat, the more unsaturated fats they eat, the more is in their fat. Yeah, because so, they have one stomach. They're monogastric. Exactly. So every, you get everything they get. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you're eating those and they're not fed well, you want to make sure you're getting very lean cuts, like a chicken breast. Or if you know that it's pasture-raised with low PUFA intake, so you don't want the acorn-fed pork, even though it's said to be better. Yeah. But if they're actually raised well, then you can have the fat in there too. So that's another stipulation. Yeah. You know, I th that's one thing I, I warn people about a lot. It's, it's really hard to get good um, chicken and pork and you have to really look. And when you look on the labels, there's not even a whole lot of help. Like there's virtually, there's maybe one brand of chicken in, in the higher end store that I can go and buy at the actual grocery store. Otherwise I got to go to like some specialty place for it. But um, for the most part, uh, chickens and, and pigs are not, you know, treated great, you know, yeah. and so it's hard to find the good stuff. Yeah. And on the labels, it'll say things like vegetarian fed. Yeah. When they aren't vegetarians. Chickens yeah. aren't vegetarians. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah. Vegetarian fed doesn't matter. Like it's actually worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want things to be out in a pasture, right? Yeah. Eating a lot of bugs for the chickens. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And then for the pork, what people want to look for is like a heritage breed pork or, um, pork that is because they're, they're fed, um, consistent with their evolution as well. I think like that's the, probably the main thing with most animals is like if, um, you don't have to eat grass finished, but it's always going to, in my opinion, it's always going to be better to get the, the animal that was raised better, you know? Of course. And it matters less with the beef, the fat, even if they're eating, not, they're not grass finished, they're still going to be pretty low in the PUFA. They'll be a little higher in fat. Yeah. But yeah, when yeah. it comes to the chicken, it matters a lot or the pork, it matters a lot. So yeah. And that's because of just the fact that they have so many different stomachs and right. with, with the cows and, and is it sheep the same? Or yeah, sheep are the same. I really like a uh, high quality grain finished steak over anything, you know? So if it's a, um, like a Mark and I have a sponsor Piedmontese beef and when you get their top end, it's like, it's so good, you know? Yeah. It's like I, you can't. So you know, a carnivore diet, you're you're basically stuck, um, you know, eating steak all day. But if you have to, for me, if you have to do that, that's like the best thing, you know, to be eating. So I'll just like you know, smash a couple steaks a day. But I'm thinking that with what, what you're saying, I can add in some other things. Like if I did add in fruit, and if I did add in spaghetti squash, and if I did add in maybe a potato on my workout days or something like that, how much? You know, am I tracking calories or anything or what am I doing? Yeah. So one thing just to, to wrap up with the fat, I wanted to mention okay. also things like olive oil, macadamia nut oil, coconut oil, palm oil are all pretty low in the polyunsaturated fats. So those are fine to use too. Some is looking for some, some extras. Okay. So yeah, those oils. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Just staying away from any other vegetable oil, really. So it's just this one particular kind of fat. Um, it seems to almost drive your whole dietary philosophy. Is that right? 
From the fat side, I would say that's the central piece. We really want to reduce or avoid the sixes, the omega sixes and omega threes. Um, and what about omega nine? Does that usually not become a problem? Is that not in a lot of things? Or yeah, you're not going to find omega nine really in much fat. What actually happens is if you don't eat enough omega sixes and omega threes, you'll produce omega nines yourself. So you just make them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah unnecessary then for us to right. seek them out. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what that's what I would say. And and it might sound like that's a it's a small thing, but it, there's almost every food that someone's eating, if they're not conscious of it, is pretty high in these omega sixes and threes. The the seed the vegetable oils are everywhere. The chicken and pork fat, all of those things are going to be pretty ubiquitous. I mean, in any packaged food. So, so for chicken, is there dark meat over white meat or? So it'd be chicken breast. The the white meat, yeah. Thighs you want to avoid the chicken thighs. Unless it's pastured. So unless it's not raised on grains and and high poofa. Um, but if you're getting it from a good source, I would say you know sure the chicken. And that's thighs. that's the harder thing to find. I was saying it's harder to find like the pastured raised uh chickens you know yeah uh in a in a normal store right um let's go back to the uh what i was just asking was like um food like let's just talk food quantity like how much sure. how much protein how much fat how much carbs yeah so it, i know people people like a, a hard recommendation in terms of numbers so I'll, I'll offer some some ranges in terms of macronutrients and maybe we can dig into why so on the protein side, normally I would say 15 to 20% of calories from, from protein. Normally I'd recommend a 0.6, from 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound of protein. This is based on research showing basically maximal protein synthesis and muscle gain from those levels in athletes and in people who are trying to build muscle where more doesn't seem to help on the protein side. Um, and then as far as fat goes, normally I would say between, this is a big range, but between 20 and 40% depending on a couple of things. Normally, I'll lean toward the higher end of that range if somebody's more active or if they have more muscle mass. Both of those things are going to use more fat. Um, normally, I'll lean toward the lower end of the range if those things aren't the case. So uh, I'm working with maybe a, this is just, again, stereotypical, but tip, you know, typical for this population, like a middle-aged woman who's trying to lose some weight. Normally, muscle mass is lower, activity levels are lower, and they're not going to need as much fat intake. Yeah. That would normally be a case I'd, I would lean lower there. And then in terms of carbs, it'd be filling in the rest. So that could be anywhere from 40 to 55% of total calories, 40 to 60%. I mean, it depends on where those other yeah. things are. Now, do you track that. macros or calories at all, or do you just kind of eat intuitively and let it fall in line? Personally? Yeah. Yeah, I eat intuitively. I haven't tracked those things in yeah. a long time. Like, I don't, I don't like tracking either. I don't like setting things up that way. So do you, you actually recommend setting it up so that you learn to eat intuitively and this is where things usually fall? Is that kind of how it... Yes, and sometimes... So for... It, for somebody, and I, I I'm assuming you've tracked at some point, I'm assuming yeah, you have a pretty absolutely. good idea of, yep. of the food that you're eating. For somebody is, who has no idea, they might think they're eating way more protein than they are or way less than they are. Yeah. The, people sometimes will just have absolutely no idea. So I do think using it as a tool just to identify where is your baseline even starting, where yeah. are you at with, with just a general idea. It doesn't have to be exact. You don't have to weigh your food. It doesn't have to be every day. But I think it can help to at least have a starting place. You don't have to. It depends on where someone's coming from. I mean, if someone is coming from from starting at zero, I would say forget it, right? Just focus on changing the foods, and that will go a long way. Yeah. If somebody's a little bit farther in and they're wanting to make some more uh, particular adjustments, I would say it can be a little bit more helpful to have a clear idea of at least just or at least a general idea of your baseline. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what, like, um, what's a, what's a day look like for you? Like, what are you, what are you eating in a day basically? 
Yeah. So, and how many times and things like that? Yeah. So breakfast will normally be, I can just go through an example day. Yeah, so breakfast will normally be some combination of eggs and meat. So sometimes I'm doing an omelet or it's like eggs with uh, beef bacon here. Cause you can find beef bacon yeah. instead of pork here with, you know, you don't have to worry about the, the poofa in there. Uh, so some combination there with fruit and or fruit juice. That'll be breakfast and then coffee with some milk. And normally there's sugar. Now you had an interesting thing. Um, every nutrition person I ever speak to tells me to stay away from fruit juice. Yeah. Um, really quick aside, cause we're going through a day of eating, but what, it, why fruit juice instead of just eating the fruit? So this is something that also might be more relevant to you specifically with your sensitivity to certain things and doing so much better on carnivore. There's a couple of reasons why I would recommend fruit juice in certain cases. They tend to center around our gut. So if somebody is particularly sensitive to certain things due to bacterial imbalances or difficulty with digestion of certain components, the juice is typically easier to digest than the whole fruit because you don't have a lot of the fiber. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bacterial imbalance, you consume a lot of fiber, it'll feed that growth. It'll cause the production of these toxic components that we absorb. It can trigger autoimmune issues. It can trigger joint pain. It can trigger brain fog. All sorts of things, the, the whole leaky gut, intestinal permeability, a lot of that is driven by the situation. And so the fruit juice is a way to get the benefits, the carbohydrates, the nutrients, the phytochemicals, and the fruit without any of the fiber that can sometimes be problematic. So that's part one. The second part is fresh, ripe, good quality fruit is hard to find in the States, yeah. especially year round. The good thing about juice that's pasteurized is it's almost always ripe and really good quality fruit. And that's because they can pick it when it's ripe and then it stays good throughout the whole So year. it's fine that it's pasteurized and stuff like that. You don't have to get fresh squeezed. Right. Yeah. Huh. That's, that actually sounds really good. Like meat and eggs and a big glass of orange juice for breakfast. Oh, sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm going to ask probably, this is probably going to be like, oh my God, you even asked that question. But you said fresh, ripe fruits hard to find sometimes seasonally in America. Don't you just let it sit on your counter a little longer? Or is that a different kind of ripe? It is a different kind of ripe, actually. So there are, it's, that's better than nothing. Sometimes even, sometimes it won't ripen right. Sometimes it, it's not as good. But when we pick unripe fruit, it still hasn't removed all of its defensive compounds yet. And so some of them will get removed as it ripens. And so like bananas are one of those where they're really, it's okay to do that. Um, although it's better if you can pick them actually ripe. They're, they're going to have a lot less of those irritating compounds in there. Uh, the yeah. bananas are always green. They're never ripe. Right. Yeah, go to the grocery store. I'm like, how, do people buy bananas and then like they got to wait a week? Well, I mean, like every time they're so green. Everyone knows the joke about avocados, right? You can't, you know, you three weeks on your counter, hard as a rock, and then you skip a single day. And the next thing you know, it's just a brown pile of mush. It's yeah, just, it's disgusting. That window just goes so fast <laughs> with avocados. Yeah, it's 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 weird, man. But the bananas, I, I, that always makes me mad. I, I never buy bananas, really, because of that. Like, they're never ripe. They're always green. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and like berries, melons, those ones are normally better. But like mangoes, bananas, all those, you can let them ripen on the counter. It's just not as good. Yeah. Even then, you still don't have them normally year-round good quality. Depends. Depends yeah. on where you are. Let's but. go through the day of eating still. So um, some meat and maybe some juice and eggs for breakfast. Yeah, sometimes whole fruit kind of depends on what I have available at the time. Uh, and, and then I'll have coffee with milk. So well, it's like maybe a cup and a half of each. And I'm throwing some maple syrup or sugar in there as well. And then depending on how the day goes, if I'm able to have a, a lunch on the earlier side. Maple I'll, syrup in the coffee? Yeah. 
Sounds amazing. I, all right. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I got to try that too. Yeah, yeah. So the good thing about maple syrup versus just plain white sugar is you get some minerals and vitamins and you also get some polyphenols in there, which yeah. are really beneficial. It has a nice the flavor to it too. And it's it good. Nice flavor. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. real maple syrup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, coffee, maple syrup, and then, then what we have later on in the day. So then lunch will, if I have a real long gap between breakfast and lunch because of calls or something, I'll have a snack. Um, normally a snack might be some cheese and fruit. It might be some potato chips cooked in olive oil, might be banana chips cooked in coconut oil with those things, but some combination of carbs and fat, it'll just be a little smaller. Mark and I were talking about, they need to come out with potato chips cooked in tallow. Yeah. Like, where is that brand? Like that would be the most amazing because <laughs> it's like, um, that it would be so much better. Wouldn't it be? Totally. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, French fries and tallow are the best. Yeah. They're, McDonald's yeah. used to do it. Malcolm Gladwell has a whole article on, um, how they used to, you know, use tallow in the fries and McDonald's. It's like the good old days. Yeah. Seriously. You know, now it's like, they can't do them. You know, um, Buffalo wild wings, they do, um, all their stuff in beef tallow, which is really interesting. So, you can get some wings there and not feel bad about it. Yeah, yeah. So Buffalo Wild Wings and Smash Burger both oh, used Smash to. Burger. They both yeah. used to do all of their fries and everything and beef tallow. Now you have to you have to check each location, and I think they oh, they're both moving away from it. That place. We got to check our location. Our now. location has taken a dive in the last six months. I don't know. They, new management. They used to have tallow. They used because be I asked them. there. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think we've boycotted. I, we've been to our last Buffalo Wild Wings. Cause like we went last time and it was like dirty and it was Ugh. like, you know, nobody works in a row now. Yeah. Nobody working there. Well, you know, part of the biggest issue why these places don't want to do beef tallow fries is cause then the vegans and vegetarians can't eat them. So they get so much flack about oh, for the that. fries. Yeah. 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 The onion, whatever it is, anything that's fried. Yeah. Also maybe some Eastern religions as well. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. People, I'm assuming that's not a huge I'm, I'm, influence I'm here. But... I'm <laughs> yeah. trying too hard. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be quiet. Yeah, I guess that does take a big market. There's probably a lot of people that live on McDonald's French fries, mm -hmm. like literally, like live on just like eat those all day. Yeah. There's well, got to be people. Yeah, well, those that's because the vegetable oil is cheap now. The yeah. McDonald's French fries and the story behind vegetable oils is that, but so when back when McDonald's was using tallow for fries, the vegetable oils were used in paint thinner and like industrial things. Then they realized they could use those to fatten up cattle really easily, really cheaply. So then they started using that. Then they realized they could market them to humans as a health food that's heart healthy. And uh, so that's, that's how they we ended up with them. Oil to, cow, to cattle? Yeah. And they still do with grains. But, huh. but, fatten yeah. them up. Yeah. That's wild. And it'll fatten us up too. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. They pump them up with estrogen too. Mark yeah. was telling me that um, at Westside Barbell, where he, where he used to train with all the maniacs, they they was, took some stuff called hefroid, okay, and it's for heifers. It's like a um, it's like a cow steroid for for heifers, and it's like a giant blast of estrogen, I guess. Oh, and he's like, that's when everybody got really strong, <laughs> and they're taking like a female cow hormone. <laughs> I love stories like that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they, so they became cheap, and then in the places that are trying to hold out and do beef tallow, then they get the flack from the vegetarians and vegans a lot of times. So yeah. It doesn't last. So what else? Anything else after that? Yeah, so so snack, some form of carbs and fats normally, <clears throat> the good quality fats and the and something like fruit or maybe some potato chips, that kind of thing. Uh, lunch will normally be... So what it's typically been these last couple of years since I'm in Latin America, we've got these really great, freshly handmade, nixtamalized corn tortillas. So I'm doing tacos, some sort of meat, cheese, um, which the cheese is really blasphemous. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. 
But uh, if you're doing traditional tacos, really, but yeah, they don't the the traditional tacos. It's just meat, cilantro, onion, salsa. No cheese. No cheese. cheese. Uh, That's you're, you're off the team. Deal. No, yeah. like a taqueria, lime on the side. Yeah, lime. I, I, yeah. Like a real traditional taco. It it's hard yeah, to find and un, unbeatable. No, it's so much better than just your standard like sour cream and guacamole American taco. Seriously, it's better than Taco Bell. <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, we have those real those those real traditional ones in Mexico and all that. They're yeah. amazing. But so I I I add the cheese. I want to make it myself. If I get it from the stand down the street, I I don't. But, uh, so some normally it'll be a couple tacos for lunch. Normally with some other form of added carbohydrate on the side, some more of the the chips or the fruit, or dried fruit, uh, maybe some chocolate in there. Some potato chips, not that bad for you. Like the Potatoes, right one, because the, they're cooked in avocado oil or something. Yeah, right? or olive oil. They used to have the uh, the coconut oil ones. You can't find those anymore. But yeah. Yeah, I would huh. say there's really nothing wrong with those. Now, um, what about the Randall cycle? Because I hear this thing called the Randall cycle that activates when you eat carbs and fat together. And it's like throwing up the bat signal and saying, you know, don't burn any fat, right? Like it's, uh, it's, um, Supposedly, the Randall cycle, when you eat carbs and fat, your body gets confused. When you eat them together, doesn't know which one to digest, and so it shuts everything down, supposedly, and you get real fat. You're saying that you don't think that that happens in that way. Yeah, not at all. And, and so there's, without digging into the details of the biochemistry, what the Randall cycle is, is that when a cell is the mitochondria in the cell are burning carbohydrates. It blocks that cell from taking up fats and using the fats for fuel and vice versa. So in the this is every fat guy's uh, escape clause to responsibility of what you're talking about, right? So slow down and make your case. <laughs> so this fat guy over here has been banking a lot of, a lot of extra LBs on this whole premise. So please... Please go into this one for us. <laughs> yeah, and what I will say is this doesn't mean that there's no place for low fat or low carb, but at the very least, it's not because of the Randall cycle. So Randall cycle is, is on, on the flip side, what I, the other side is if the cell, the mitochondria in the cell are burning fat, then that's going to inhibit the uptake and usage of glucose. So one cell really only going to use glucose or fat at a time. Now, that, that then gets somehow translated to if you eat them at the same time, your body can only use one and store one as, has to store the other as fat, but that's not the case. So we have a lot of different tissues. We've got our brain and our muscles and different muscles, liver, kidneys, all sorts of things. They can all be using different fuels at the same time. That doesn't violate anything in terms of the Randall cycle. You can consume a meal that's fat and carbs. Your brain can take up those carbs. It's super hungry for carbs. It can't use fat as a fuel. It's got to use carbs or ketones. So your brain can use those carbohydrates. Your liver can use those carbohydrates. Your kidneys, your red blood cells will all use those carbohydrates. Your muscles and other tissues can take up the fat and use the fat. There is nothing to be said there that that is going to drive fat storage. It's just that like our bodies are way more intelligent than only being able to deal with one fuel at a time. There's always fat and carbs in your bloodstream, even yeah. if you don't eat, and that doesn't cause an issue. It doesn't cause an issue at certain levels as long as you're using the fuels well. So there's nothing about the Randall cycle that dictates that having those two together will cause a problem. Uh, that being said, we, of course, want to adjust our carb intake or our fat intake based on our needs. And so if somebody is in a situation where they're trying to lose weight, it can, it can help to lower fat intake sometimes. Uh, I know I mentioned a couple situations when I would lower fat intake. That can be another, is that there's going to be less fat need because there's already more fat circulating. Sure. So you don't need as much fat coming in. Um, 
and you're not going to be as good at burning the carbohydrates. And so having too much fat can interfere with that. So there are some places where you can have a problem there. Um, as far as decreasing carbs, I think that the benefits there have much less to do with the carbs and fat together causing a problem, but rather, for one, we relieve our digestion of any issues with the carbohydrates, what we were talking about earlier with those fibers. Those can cause major inflammatory issues, autoimmune reactions. We see that endotoxemia and obesity. Like that, That's a huge piece there is relieving our gut from any sort of inflammatory cycles. And so removing carbohydrates is a band-aid way to do it. To I think there's better ways to do it, but it'll at least do it. Yeah. Um, the other thing it'll do is if you're not good at burning carbohydrates, and this is something that happens as we age, as we have more dysfunction, if we're looking at Alzheimer's, if we're looking at obesity, if we're looking at fatty liver disease, any other situation, these are situations where we don't burn those carbohydrates well. And so we can avoid that problem by taking out the carbohydrates. That's better than not burning carbs well and eating carbs. But the best scenario, so the one scenario above that that I would try to work on, is improving our ability to burn the carbohydrates so that we don't have to avoid them. And that's actually fixing the problem. So we can say in diabetes, the problem is you're not using the glucose well, you've got high blood sugar, so let's just stop eating carbs. Yeah, It's band-aiding the problem, it's better, but instead let's fix our ability to use the carbohydrates, fix our ability to produce energy from them. I would say that's the best option. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the problem we find with... Um most of these diets is that um, when people do increase their carbohydrates, they usually just increase how much they eat overall. They just end up, you know, going off the deep end. I think so. Like for me, that's my my main problem with uh, carbs. Like I just like them too much. You know, I end up uh, attaching myself too much to them, and so uh, that becomes difficult. You know. Yeah. Well, when I came off my year plus, well, several years of low carb, but. Uh, you know, maybe a good year of strict keto and cyclical keto and things like, and fasting. When I came out of that state, I, I think a lot of people would have characterized my feelings as sugar addiction or carb addiction, or just a needing to overeat them and not being yeah. able to control myself. That was temporary. So yeah. I went through a period of time where I was eating between four and 800 grams of carbohydrates a day. And a lot of times closer to that 800 mark, I was eating a ton. I was also pretty active in everything, but I was ravenous after yeah, lot, going though. low carb yeah. for a long time. I couldn't get enough. But I did then reach a point where I moved as my body shifted out of that long-term stress state that it was in, that it had been put in due to the lack of carbs, there was then a much better balance that was reached. And not only was it a situation where I didn't feel drive to overeat, but I felt like I had more control and needed to use less willpower and less restriction than I ever had in my life. So up until that point, I was constantly in this state, which I think a lot of people resonate with of needing to restrict and use willpower to stick to what I was doing and to not go off and binge and, and knowing that if I had a bite of a brownie, it would become 10 brownies. You know, or if I, if I uh, had even just some fruit at one point when I was in keto, it would be a whole bag, a five pound bag of frozen fruit. You yeah, know? that's what I do. I go like either extreme. It's like if I, it's like I'll go no carbs and then I'll binge on a bunch of carbs and I'm trying to, trying to smooth all that out. So I'm just, you know, pretty normal all around but that's when um when i do something more like the meat and fruit uh diet it actually allows me to to do that a little bit more and and have more of a, a variety however i find that i start leaning towards like eating all fruit mm -hmm. and then not eating the protein that i need so i that's what happens to me over time so i can't do meat and fruit that long or end, ends up being fruit and fruit you know yeah yeah I'd be curious to know how much protein you are getting even when you feel like it's lower because 
probably enough, but I'm crazy like that, you know? Well, that, but that's an important piece is that carbs are protein sparing. So when we don't have enough carbs and we eat a lot of protein, our bodies convert that extra protein to glucose through gluconeogenesis. Yeah. When we have enough carbs that we don't need to use that process, our protein needs go down. So we, if we're getting enough carbs, it does lower our protein needs. And so huh. I think a lot of people are in that place where they're relying on protein for satiety and your feeling. protein recommendations are pretty low compared to a lot of other people. Um, why is that? Yeah. So 0.6 grams to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. So not lean mass per pound of, I guess you could say ideal body weight. Uh, a lot of that's coming from Menno Henselman's yep. uh, information and yeah, research. He's awesome. Yeah. 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 And so I think he's got some pretty compelling data that suggests that that even the 0.8, that's kind of playing it safe yeah. because research really settled on around 0.63. Like being, we eat probably too much protein then. I and think so. I think it comes at the cost of getting the carbs that are going to be the things to jack up our metabolism and get our stress hormones down. So coming back to like that feeling of being out of control, I think we can have a situation where we are eating, let's just keep it at meat and fruit, keep it really simple. We're eating a good amount of food and we're getting 20% of our calories from protein, let's say, and we're in a good balance and we're not out of control with how much we need because we've actually started to meet those needs, right? Yeah. So. I used to be in that place of feeling like I needed to restrict and use willpower in order not to go for those binges to a situation where because I was actually satisfying those physiological needs, I don't feel that anymore. I can have the orange juice and not feel like, out of, not feel like I'm out of control with it or feel like it's yeah. going to cause any issue. And I've seen that parallel thing happen with clients who thought, who basically thought that that would never happen, right? So they thought they were the kind of people, and again, I was one of these people where a spoon of ice cream led to the whole pint or more, yeah, 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 yeah. you know? And then when they actually got to a point where they were supplying enough carbs throughout the day and enough food, enough nutrition, enough calories throughout the day and sorting out the issues that were causing dysfunction in terms of energy production, one spoon became one spoon, right? Or it was like, yeah. I actually ate part of the ice cream. I ate a third yeah, of it I, and I put it away. And that yeah, was I have so much more control now than I've, than I've ever had, you know? So some of the things I'm even saying to you, it's like, I don't really have those problems anymore. Sure. Um, but it, it is amazing how, how that can like come and go and like, and how strong some of those feelings are. Like when you have a craving, it's like, you'll do anything to, you know, to solve that, you know, that problem, you know? Um, and so I, like, I, I've just, I've found myself got, I, I've gotten a lot better. I, I, I think you can kind of train that. Like, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at staying away from things that I need to, you know, stay away from. Yeah. And I think. I think a part of it also is we want to absolve ourselves of that guilt and, and take away, like, don't get me wrong, certain, there is some amount of willpower involved there, but I think there's more, more of it is on the physiology and we're, we're not really recognizing that. We're not recognizing that those cravings aren't because we're bad and our bodies want us to be unhealthy and overweight. That would be a, a ridiculous yeah. notion. Um, in, instead, it's that we have a physiological need for these things. And if we try to satisfy that carb need with donuts, something that's going to have a lot of the omega-6s, a lot of things that are going to irritate our gut and create an inflammatory state there, block our ability to produce energy from that food that's coming in, it's not going to turn our signals off. It's, we're going to stay hungry and feel like we can eat a million donuts. And I think everybody's had that sort of experience. But if we're satisfying the craving with the nutrition that's actually supportive of producing energy, it'll actually turn the hunger signals off. Yeah. So I think there is actual physiological underpinning for it too that is under-recognized or under-acknowledged. Have you had good luck getting the, uh, getting the word out about this? People listening to you? Yeah, yeah. You I, have a I, podcast, right? It's yeah. doing pretty well. Yeah, so I've got a podcast called the Energy Balance Podcast. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I think the whole, 
like I'm not alone in these in these views. I think the views are are becoming a lot more popular. You mentioned Paul Saladino earlier. Yeah. Well, you're kind of at the head of your own little niche in a way, right? I mean, is there other people doing the same similar diet plan and stuff like that? Yeah. So I'm largely inspired by the work of Dr. Ray Pete. We were talking about him yeah, a little bit yesterday. Yeah, I love Ray Pete. Yeah. Um, Stan Efferding's a big fan of his, always has been. Yeah, definitely. So so there's definitely a good handful of people who are spearheading information that's that's you know inspired by these same views. But uh, yeah, it's exciting to be spreading it and, and you know to see the, sh- the, I think, a slow shift in the culture away from the keto, pure carnivore and low carb and maybe recognizing that well, I, we swung from one side to yeah, the other. Yeah, and I always tell people, like Mark and I have said this from the very beginning, all these things are tools. So I feel like um, carnivore diet's great to like hop on a carnivore diet for a month, just flush out everything, feel really good, you know, whatever, and then, then you can go right back to whatever you're doing. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to hurt at all. You know, it just seems to be a, a great tool to kind of like fix things and reset. Like I have a lot of autoimmune conditions that seem to be at bay on a carnivore diet, but they also seem at bay when I'm eating sensible and smart too. And I don't overeat and I don't eat a bunch of crap, you know? So I, I think that, um, that just takes more patience and trying to like, you know, figure out how to navigate that. But, um, how can people, uh, find your work and find you and get in touch with you and all that good stuff? Yeah. So, uh, mentioned the energy balance podcast, which can be found on all podcast platforms. Uh, for people who want to dig in a little deeper, get some more practical information related to stress and exercise and nutrition, I have a free mini course that they can find at jfeldmanwellness.com slash energy. They can go ahead and sign up there. Awesome. And at that site, jfeldmanwellness.com, you can find free articles, links to the podcast and everything else from there. I'm going to check it out because I think I need to uh, add some of these things into my diet. And, uh, you know, I think I want to... Um like I said, I, I hate being on the same thing all the time and it like it's, it gets to be annoying and I love adding in, you know, some other things and trying new things. So I'll definitely uh, be giving this a shot as I've given every other plan ever pretty much a shot. And I think like what Mark and I do is um, tend to grab little things from any, everybody that comes through here, which is wonderful. We have this place where people come through all the time, give us a bunch of information. We just grab little, you know, grab yeah. a little from this guy, grab a little from that guy, you know? And um, I, no, I think this was great, man. I look forward to uh, some spaghetti squash and yeah. some, maybe some potato chips, even Russell. <laughs> Russell. I, I can't even go. <laughs> no, actually though, that's been sort of the, the last few days I've been eating a lot more squash with some, Red meat and squash at night, sometimes some mushrooms. Uh, Do you think the tomato sauce just destroys it? No. No, No, I mean, I'll get a good quality one, right? I'm not a big fan of the corn syrup and everything, but if it's tomatoes and some spices and sometimes they add a bit of sugar, I don't see any issue with that. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, we're out of here. It was great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, buddy.